All right. You guys want to open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. We're going to continue through our study of the gospel. And um, again, I just want to start by simply saying welcome to our second week. Again, if you're returning, thanks for being back here. If this is your first time, welcome. We're so glad you're here. But um, I just, I'm going to say this again, and, and I'm going to be saying this often as we begin our journey as a church, because, um, you know, we have a vision for what we want this church to be. And with the vision, we have kind of some vision statements. And just by starting out today, I kind of just want to kind of talk through some of those things. And first, First, one of our vision statements is that we want to know Jesus and be known. And the way that we will do that, the way that we'll know Jesus is by his self-revelation. And that's why we give a really important place to the preaching of God's word. Every week that you come here, bring your Bible. And as Miss Leah said, if you're a kiddo, go pick up a Bible today if you don't have one at home. If you're an adult and you don't have a Bible, go grab one. We'd love to give it as a gift to you. And um, we're going to be in the word of God together. And, and that's primarily how we're going to know God, because God's revealed himself to us in his word. And we also want to be known, okay? So we want to be known by God first, right? And the way that we do that is we give a special place also to prayer and to worship. There's something about when we sing these songs, when we pray together as a church, that we are connecting ourselves to the Lord. And, and no one knows you better than God knows you. And it's so good just to be intimately connected with God in those ways. And, and we believe that when we know Jesus and that we're known by Jesus, it does something. It cultivates something in our culture, in our community as a church. First, it allows us to know one another, to build relationships. That's why after worship, we say, greet somebody next to you. That's why uh, we'd love for you to come a little early, stay a little late, hang out and talk to people, get to know one another, because in this community, we want you to be known and loved. And then as Leah also just said, when you hear the good news, when you receive a blessing, you want to go back out and you want to give a blessing. And we as a church want to make Jesus known. We want to be a church that is um, on mission with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so those are kind of the four statements, I guess you could say, to know Jesus, to be known by Jesus, to be known by one another, and then to make Jesus known. I think it's important that I just start off by saying that this morning, and you'll hear me periodically. I'll kind of pepper it in through the sermons in the coming weeks and stuff, just so that you know kind of the culture that we're trying to create here as a local church. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray to Jesus and ask that he would bless the preaching of his word today. Let me pray. Lord God, we love you so much, Lord, and we thank you for what we've already been able to experience here this morning. God, we ask that your word, your self-revelation, it, it would do a transforming work in us. Lord, it's not so much that we are reading the Bible, but that the Bible is reading us. 
And so, Lord, we open up our lives for your word to examine us, to see uh, how we could be led more in your righteousness and in your truth, Lord. And we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Mark chapter 1, we're going to pick it up at verse 14 where it says this. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. So if you were here with us last week, you recalled John the Baptist. And if you weren't, let me just tell you a little bit about this dude. So he was the cousin of Jesus and he hung out in the desert. He ate bugs and honey and he dressed in camel's hair. And there was a unique role that John the Baptist had, which was that he was a messenger or a forerunner to Jesus. He was the last prophet of Israel. And so his function was to prepare the way for the coming of the king, which is Jesus. And the primary way that he prepared the way was he said to the people of Israel, repent. And people were repenting. People were coming by the masses to be baptized by John. Even Jesus came and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And we saw last week that wonderful scene where the heavens split open and the Father spoke from heaven and the Spirit descended upon Jesus and rested and remained on him and he was driven into the wilderness for 40 days. Where we are today, Jesus has come out of that 40 days of testing and John is now going to fade off the scene. You know, he's fulfilled his prophetic purpose. And it says here that he was arrested. This was according to God's plans that John would be arrested and, and ultimately he would be killed. Now, this was God's plan because God was bringing an end to something, an end of the old covenant, and he was bringing in the new covenant with Jesus. And though John's death was tragic, I mean, the reason why he was arrested and put to death was that he was so bold as a prophet that he went up to the political rulers of that day, the Herodians, and he was calling them out for their sketchy business. I mean, they were having these family affairs, and and John got thrown into prison for this. And while he was in there, John had some doubts. You know, when hard things happen in our lives, right? When the difficult things that, yes, God uses, he uses all things and works all things together for good, but he even uses those hard things like when John was arrested and thrown in prison. And while he was there, John doubted. His doubt was whether Jesus was actually the Messiah. And he even sent some of his disciples to Jesus and said, said, hey, go find out. Is this the Messiah or should we be looking for another? And Jesus sends a report back. And in Luke 7, 22, he says, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And I believe that when John received that message back, all that doubt faded away, and I believe John would have thought, the kingdom of God has arrived. Jesus, the Messiah, is here. And he's here. You know, when Jesus came, he brought the kingdom of God, both visibly and audibly. And even today, the kingdom of God is in our midst, as we'll see today. 
Now, one crucial thing that we want to know before moving on in our text today is that between verses 13 and verses 14, there is about a year period where we're not told in Mark's gospel what happened in that first year of Jesus's ministry. If you want to know what happened in the first year of Jesus's ministry, you'll go to John and you'll read chapters one through four to see that. But what Mark is beginning at is when Jesus came into a region called Galilee and began to preach the gospel there. Now, Galilee, you know, I think we kind of have this mental picture of Galilee. As you're reading the Bible, you read this place and you think that it was kind of small outskirt village where everybody knew each other and, and it's, you know, everyone's walking down the street and just give high fives to one another because we all know each other. And Jesus is just there in the middle and everyone's kind of sitting and gathering around him. But to give you a sense of what the size of Galilee was, is take the peninsula, Torrance, and all of the beach cities, and that's about the size of what Galilee was. And probably as densely populated as the South Bay. And so this was a big place. You know, Jesus went around and there were a lot of people that were being influenced by his message as he began to preach and news began to spread about him. And what was the message of Jesus that he preached? We see it in verse 15 where it says, Jesus comes into Galilee and this is what he said. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. You know, John's message was, Something is coming, so repent and believe. Or repent and really get ready to believe. And then when Jesus came, you know what his message was? Something is here, so repent and believe. See, when Jesus arrived, he brought with him the kingdom of God. He says, the time is fulfilled. The time is right now. The kingdom of God is right up in their faces. Or should I say, as close as their hand. I mean, put your hand out in front of you. You know, when it says the kingdom of God is at hand, it has the sense that it's right there in front of you with Jesus. So when God's kingdom arrived with Jesus, first, what is the kingdom? You know, we throw out this language and we see in the Bible, what, what is the kingdom? Well, what I like to do to define the kingdom is break it down into its parts. So the first is king. Who's the king? Jesus. And dome is where we get our words dominion or domain. And dominion or domain is the idea of ruling and reigning. So the kingdom is wherever Jesus is ruling and reigning. So the kingdom of God is Jesus' authority upon the earth and the kingdom of God is this great multifaceted reality. You know, we say things like the kingdom is both now and not yet because there is a future fulfillment. And we don't have all the time to talk about this morning, all the aspects of the kingdom of God. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we aware of God's kingdom? Do I sense that God's kingdom is here and now in the same way that I'm able to look at the hand that is in front of my face. And the only way 
to answer that in the affirmative. The only way to say that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God is that if you have repented and believed in the gospel of God. To repent means to change your mind and to change your direction. You're saying, I was going toward a life of sin and I'm going to decide this isn't where I want to go. This isn't the life that I want to live. And you change your mind about that and then you change the course of your direction. You say, I want to go towards God's kingdom. I want to go toward a life of righteousness with Jesus Christ. And see, the time for that, as Jesus preached, is right now. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. There's an urgency to the kingdom of God where we say, right now is the time that if you haven't given authority to Jesus in your life, the best day to do it is today. You know, today is the day of salvation. If you haven't allowed Jesus to have control and authority in your life, there's no better time to open up your life and to say, Jesus, I give you this authority. Jesus, rule and reign in my life. The best day to do that is today. Now, Jesus brought the kingdom. And as he brought the kingdom, he wanted to teach people about this kingdom. And that's why he chose disciples, students, that he would teach everything that he knew about the kingdom too. And that's where we read in verse 16 through 20, where it says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So Jesus calls right here four of his disciples to himself. And these four in particular, they were fishermen. Now we read this account, you know, and we kind of think that Jesus was just this complete stranger that walks up to these guys and says, hey, follow me. And they're just get up and immediately follow a complete stranger. See, I have more of the sense that because of this year period that happened where Jesus had already been ministering, they would have been at least somewhat acquainted with who Jesus was. Maybe they heard about how he had turned water to wine, or they had heard about that one day out of the Jordan River where it was unlike any other baptism that John had ever done because the heavens split open and there was this audible voice that happened and then this dove came and rested on this guy. I mean, there's this sense that the news about Jesus had already gone forth. So when Jesus, as this rabbi, walks up to these guys and says, follow me, I have this sense that they were at least semi-acquainted with who Jesus is. But listen, to be semi-acquainted with who Jesus is doesn't mean that you're following Jesus. You know, many people know something about Jesus. They know something about his birth. They know something about his death. They might even know something about his resurrection. They are acquainted with who Jesus is, but it doesn't mean that they're following him. So when Jesus calls these men to him to follow, he's asking them to walk with him, 
to live the life that he lives, to have a relationship with him, literally to spend every day with him, to laugh and to eat and to cry and, and, and to do all the things that you would do if you were just following along the path of a teacher. And that is what Jesus was. He was a rabbi and he was calling disciples to himself. Now, I think this is important to say, as we look at these different men that Jesus chose, I want to hone in on Peter. You know, Peter was a fisherman, which I think is representative of his old way of living. Because Peter was this salty dog. I mean, he was just obnoxious. He got himself into a lot of trouble because of, you know, he just run his mouth. I get the sense that Peter probably, you know, maybe I'll have to stand before Peter and give an account for how I talked about him in this sermon, you know. But, but I get the sense that maybe he didn't have so much of a high IQ, but he for sure had a high EQ. You know the difference? You know, Peter was like street smart. Like he had emotional intelligence. And so he was a guy that, yeah, had some high highs and some low lows. But Jesus saw this man. And he saw him where he was at as a fisherman. He saw him in his old way of living. And he says, I'm going to give you a new way of life. And I'm going to call you Peter. And you know, Peter is kind of a picture of most of our lives. You know, you might be reading the text and you're saying, well, I don't see a Peter in this verse. I see Simon. I see Andrew. I see James and John, but where's Peter in the text? Well, the reason why is because Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter. And the reason why he was doing that is because Jesus saw something in Simon before Simon ever saw something in himself. And he was going to say, you're going to follow me and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. He said, I'm going to call you Peter, which means rock. And he made this promise that on this rock, I'm going to build his church. The rock is Jesus, but he was going to use Peter greatly to build the church. And so Peter is this picture of our lives because as we read through the gospels, here's what you're going to see about Peter. You're going to see him going again and again and again back to fishing where he's walking with Jesus and oh, I'm just going to go for a night's fish. And Jesus has to come to him and he says, Simon, Simon, I've called you Peter. Don't keep going back to that old way. Walk in this new way that I have for you. You know, when it says there, immediately they left their nets and followed Jesus. That, that sometimes happens. That might be your testimony where from one day to the next, you were living a life of sin and then boom, you met Jesus and your life was forever transformed. And there was this sense of immediately you walked with Jesus. But for most of us, we're more like Peter, where we kind of waffle between the old way of living and the new way of living. We go back to our old nature, but God's given us a new identity for us to walk in. Now, Peter followed Jesus along with Simon and Andrew. And again, these guys were fishermen, the least qualified to be students of the rabbi. You know, rabbis would usually choose young boys who were um, well-educated and really good at memorization of the law. 
being that they were fishermen, it's probably more the idea that they were already dropouts out of rabbi school. They'd already started with their life's trade. And so for Jesus to call these men, what he's saying is he's calling the ordinary. He's calling the unnoble and for the most part, the unqualified to follow Jesus. And that's who Jesus calls. He also calls the educated. He also calls the wealthy and the noble. But this is who Jesus chose because this is the fact is that Jesus chooses who he wants to choose, choose, right? He says, I will choose to myself the disciples that I want. And so he got these guys. And he said, follow me. Again, follow me is an invitation that is given to all people to follow with Jesus, to live his way of life. You know, what Jesus was not asking was, he wasn't asking them to, you know, intellectually agree that he exists. Jesus wasn't saying, hey guys, come here. I want you to adhere to a theological system. He wasn't saying to them, Meet my ethical demands or else. Jesus said, follow me. Where, yeah, theology and ethics would matter, but it was about a relationship with Jesus. A life with Christ is that you love him and that you live each day with him where he's your God and he's your savior and he's your best friend. That's what it means to follow with Jesus. And so even when Peter would go back to fishing, Jesus would find his friend and say, follow me. Now, before we look at the next portion today, I want to tell a little bit of a fishing story. A lot of fishermen in here, right? Fisherwomen, fishermen. Um, But when we moved here to Palos Verdes, one of the first activities I did was that I went fishing with my daughter. And it was like, I think day three, when we moved here in May this summer, that I took my daughter fishing, and we went to Sacred Cove. Anyone know where that is? Some good um, calico bass fishing. And we're out there, and my daughter had been fishing before. She had, like, this little Barbie button reel, and we'd go to Lake Kachuma up in Santa Barbara. And, man, she would pull out these huge bass on this tiny, like, literally the fish was about the size of the pole. And, and so... If you want, I got a picture on my phone. Come and I'll show it to you. But um, she had been fishing before. But, you know, she'd been fishing in a lake with a little worm and everything. And she just kind of dropped it off the boat and caught a fish. And here we are. We're going ocean fishing. A little bit different than lake fishing. And as we're walking down, we get down there and we're ready to start. and, And I'm like, here, let me help you. Let me get you set up. And she's, Dad, I know how to fish. And I just got this sense in that moment from the Lord. You know, I just moved here, coming to plant a church, coming to be fisher, a fisher of men, right? And just as my daughter was like, Dad, I know how to fish, God just kind of spoke to me. He's like, are you going to trust me to make you a fisher of men? You know, you're coming here. You've fished before. You've been in ministry for 10 years. But you're coming to a new place. And and this is a little bit different. And I know these people here. I know how the fish bite in this place. Are you going to trust me to make you a fisher of men? I just really got this sense from the Lord that that is what he wants to do with us. But he's the one that will make us fishers of men. 
He's the master fisherman. He knows where to take you. Have you ever been on a boat with somebody and they've got that radar where it's just like they know where the fish are and they just put you down and you drop a line and you pull the fish out? Like that's how God is. And if we're led by God and by his spirit, he'll take us to where the fish are. And I believe that the Palos Verdes Peninsula, I believe that the South Bay of Los Angeles, I believe that this is a pond that is teeming with fish to be caught. You know, and I heard it said somewhat recently from a pastor. It was a challenging and a convicting message. And he said, you know, the fish aren't biting anymore in Southern California. And he kind of talked about how there's another place in another part of the world where the fish are just biting. And and, and it was a convicting thing because what he was saying is he sensed that churches in America or churches in Southern California that nobody's actually fishing anymore. Like we've all kind of moved here and we've all got our houses and we're all comparing lures and talking about fishing. And, and we talk about how the methods and the practices that we use when we go fishing, but nobody's actually fishing. And nobody's actually by, nobody's actually being caught. And again, I think it's a challenging and a convicting message, but I, I believe that there are still fish to be caught in Southern California. The week after hearing that message, I went to this conference and it was a men's conference. And in that day, there were three invitations throughout the day to receive Christ. The first one was the son of Billy Graham. I mean, if that guy can't pull out all the fish in the water, who can't, right? It's just like he gave an invitation. 25 people went forward and received Christ. Then some other guy who's kind of a no-name, you know, preacher gets up and he gives another invitation. I'm like, wow, okay. 20 more people come forward to receive Christ. By the end of the day, there were third guy came out and he gave an invitation again to receive Christ. And more people came forward. In one day, there were three invitations to receive Christ. And every time people received him, which tells me there are more fish in Southern California that need to be caught with the gospel. And so that was confirmation for me to come here and to bring the gospel of God, which will catch people. I'm not so much as interested in comparing the lures that we're using. I'm interested in my master teacher, Jesus, teaching me how to fish. And you know what? I don't like fishing alone. I like fishing with other people. And so I invite you, would you fish with me? Can I get an amen? Let's go fishing together. Like, if you're going to make this your church, you're in the fishing business. Welcome. (laughs) We are going to go be fishers of men together. Now, verse 21 and 22, it says, They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. I love this point, that Jesus came into the synagogue. He had the opportunity to open up the word of God and to preach to these people. And, and he wasn't like the other rabbis. He wasn't like the other scribes. He taught with authority. And why did Jesus teach with authority? Because he had intimacy with God. You know, our authority from God comes when we know God and are known by God. Where we're intimate with him, our authority will come out in our preaching, in our teaching, and whatever it is that you are using to share the gospel. Then in verse 23 and 24, it says, Immediately there was in that synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? 
Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So this isn't normal, right? When a guy comes into the service and starts yelling and convulsing, talking in the plural, there was something going on with this man that because of the authority of Jesus and because with Jesus he was bringing the kingdom of God. And any time the kingdom of God is brought into a situation, there is an altercation that can happen between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the enemy. Because, listen, there is a spiritual dimension. There is a spiritual reality that exists that is as much real as the physical world in which we live in. Everything right now that you see, everything right now that you experience, there is another realm, another reality that exists that is just as real as this, where there is a spiritual realm, where there is a kingdom of light and there is a kingdom of darkness. And God has domain, he has dominion over the kingdom of light, and the devil has domain, dominion over the kingdom of darkness. And there is a war and there is a clashing that goes on between these kingdoms. And, and when Jesus arrived, he came to destroy the kingdom of darkness. First John 3, it says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So when Jesus shows up in the synagogue, these demons, this unclean spirit cries out, says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And there was a confrontation that was happening between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. But I love what Jesus said. Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit came out with a loud voice came out of him. And there was this manifestation. There was a sort of breaking forth of the spiritual realm in the natural realm where people visibly saw a manifestation of something really, really oppressive, really dark that this man had going on in his life. I'm convinced that the devil is alive and well, and his workers that are refer referred to in the scriptures as unclean spirits or demons are also at work in lives today. And I don't want to spend too much time on this point because I'd rather just talk about Jesus. But if I can just say a couple points about demons. First is that demons are angels that were created by God. But they fell and rebelled against God. The, fit, the fate of demons is sealed. They will be cast into the lake of fire along with the devil. Third, demons want to invoke fear. And that is why this demon tried to show his power by yelling and convulsing this man. And then fourth, demons want to appear more powerful than they really are because they're not more powerful than Jesus. And that's why this one spirit, did you notice Jesus refers to it in the singular referred to itself in the plural. He's trying to make himself appear bigger and more powerful than this demon really was. And lastly, this man who had this demon was created in the image of God and Jesus 